0: Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told to the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. You hear news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred, that great theme music by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater, Here we are, and today marks our final week of our Halloween horror specials leading up to the penultimate event. The world premiere this Sunday, October 31st, of a festival of dark audio running from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, we will be having transcontinental terror. If you haven't heard enough about this uh, live event, get a taste of it from our friend Rich Fish out in Bloomington, Indiana, who whipped up this little promo for us. Yes, and that is uh what we're all about the train of terror coming to you oh so soon. Today we've got a back-to-back work. Um today we've got back-to-back work with two artists on the dark train's tracks the last two stops. The Icebox Radio Theater of International Falls, Minnesota and the willamette Radio Workshop of the Other Portland, Portland, Oregon. Icebox breaks the uh ice this week with a story of teen vampires Unlike any that you think you're going to hear, the story of Cass and Lowell. It's a, <laughs> it's a pretty bloody one. Thanks for this one, Jeff. You know, Jeff is one of my favorite um, audio horror writers. Um, he's done great stuff that Scott Hickey's produced with the Gristmill, and, of course, his own work with Icebox Radio Theater. And before that, a program that um, Jeff did called Imagination X. Uh, Cass and Lowell will not disappoint. Back the embed.
1: Frozen Frights. New audio's theater of suspense and terror. Now, on Icebox Radio.
2: We never really know our friends. Last year, when I was only 15, I thought I knew Cass as well as I've ever known anyone as well as I knew myself. We'd been best friends since we were 10. We spent summers together, and she spent Christmas at our house the year her dad went nuts and everything. We've had more sleepovers than I can count. Our birthdays are only six days apart, so we had together parties most years. I'd say she was like a sister, but I have a sister. Cass was nothing like that. Cass was better. She was my best friend, practically my only friend, That's why I cried so hard the day I had to kill her. There's a crooked little house at the end of a dirt road, about 600 yards through swamp and bramble from the Canadian border. That's where I live. The closest town is 16 miles away. I've walked it four times in my life, and it's not too bad, except in winter when the dry, dusty snow blows like sand across the road making it hard to see where you're going. Cass lived in town, in a big house on a busy street. That's where we met, all those years ago. Her house was a block down from the library. My mom took us to the library, a lot.
3: That's a juvenile book, not young adult.
2: She'd spent a lot of time there too. I'd seen her before.
3: You probably want young adult.
2: The day we met, she was volunteering. I remember thinking that was so weird a ten-year-old volunteering no I want this one see it yourself but the Nightwing series is better my mother doesn't like adult themes and I have to write book reports on everything I read have to or want to have to we're homeschooled oh then you want Christian fiction it's along the back I hated her at first Not because she made the assumption that homeschoolers would only be interested in Christian fiction, but because she was right. My mother was really only interested in Janet Oak and junk like that. She told us we could read anything we wanted, but I knew the consequences of picking out the wrong thing.
3: Well, if you're sure, I know you're mature enough to understand, and I just suppose you'll have
2: to learn for yourself. That was my mother's way. Everything was educational in our house. Even passive-aggressive abuse was educational. But not long after that first day at the library, I started seeing Cass there every time we went. And we went three times a week, minimum. Finally, one day-
3: Here, don't let your mother
2: see it. What? I can't. It's tucked into my car, don't worry. This is a Richard Stride book. This has, there's a sex scene in this. Yeah, on page 237. Why are you doing this to me? All you check out is the kitty horror from Young Adult. Haven't you ever wanted to read something really scary? I didn't want to ask. Is this really scary? But it was out before I could stop it. I got hooked the night I finished it. Read the last 200 pages right in one go. Didn't sleep a wink. I I don't think I should. Yes, you should. And she thrust the book back in my hands. And I looked up at her. Her eyes were so big and beautiful. They were a dark shade of blue I'd never seen in something natural before. Only in plastics and dyes and some of the fabrics my mother used in her sewing. Dark, deep blue that seemed to draw you in. Yes, you should. Draw you in. That was the start of our friendship. Horror novels at the library. Our big secret. It seems kind of stupid now, looking back. I was the oldest of three. My sister Jane is two years younger, and our brother Bobby is four. That meant everything I did was a first time for my mother. She overreacted. A lot.
3: I... I don't think so, honey. I don't think it's safe.
2: And later? I'd... I'd rather you not. I'm, I'm not really comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with that. The official slogan of our house. And that was the truth. That was what it was all about for Mother. Her comfort. She wasn't comfortable with me sleeping over at Cass's house. She wasn't comfortable with me walking to town. She usually gave in, I'll give her that. But it was never really acceptance. It was this begrudging giving in.
3: Well, I suppose if you feel you have to.
2: It wasn't at all like Cass's house. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Or with Cass's parents, Harold and Madeline. First of all, they wanted me to call them that. Harold and Madeline and even though I knew they were my mom's age they seemed a lot younger
4: What's in a name? A
2: rose by any other
4: Ah, my sweet (laughs)
2: Hmm.
3: Oh, you guys We're
4: embarrassing the youngling Oh,
3: she's 13, that's our job (laughs) (laughs) come here (laughs) If you guys are gonna suck face can Mary and I eat in the porch? Of
1: course, Uh, none for Frodo though I
3: know, come on Come on, we'll just sit in the rattan. No, Freddo. Sit. Your parents are so affectionate. Please, I'm trying to eat, Mary.
2: Uh, Sorry. I just. How old are they? I don't know. 40s, I guess. Mm. I love it here. Hmm? Um, I said you have a
3: cool house. Uh, yeah, I guess. Do you want to make a movie after dinner? What? I'm a filmmaker. I got a 3 CCD Digicam and Final Cut Pro. We can do anything we want, even chroma key. I got this huge green sheet we can hang up and put anything we want in the background. Uh, that sounds like fun. And the last theater my mom worked at let her take a bunch of costumes. We've got pirates and princesses, a few wild Indians. Costumes? Yeah, mom's a costume designer. It doesn't pay much, sure, but dad works study. He's a writer, right? Yes and no. He's got six books, but the teaching
2: is what keeps feeding us. Six books? You've got way more than that. I've never seen so many books outside the library. (laughs) Sorry, I mean he's written six books.
3: Really? Yeah, the Dark Death series. Kind of goth with a dash of hard fantasy thrown in. They don't really sell very well. Your dad's an author? (laughs) Silly. My dad is Richard Stride. He uses a different name when he writes. Cause, whatever. You mean that book you gave me? With the sex scene on page 237? Yep.
2: It was written by... Oh, Cass! (laughs) (laughs) Come on. She wasn't kidding about making a movie. Her room was an old sleeping porch, she said. And that meant it was really long and thin. At one end was her bed, but at the other was a bunch of lights and a video camera. And the kind of computer I'd only seen in movies. And action. What do I do? Anything.
3: You wanted to be a robot. Uh, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> oh, Mary, this is hysterical. We're totally YouTubing this. Oh, will anyone see it? You never know. You were the perfect robot. I'm calling you Lol from now on. You're calling me what? Lol. Star Trek. TNG.
2: You don't? Oh, come on. And that was the moment she gave me my name. I didn't even know who Lol was. So she sat me down in front of her TV and started rifling through these DVDs. And we watched Star Trek. I'd never seen it before, though I had read two or three of the books. This episode was a story of a robot that made a child, a daughter he named Lal. In Hindu, the name means beloved. We sat and watched the episode, and the sun began to set. And thank goodness Cass didn't bother to turn on the lights. She would have seen my tears. Beloved. If I closed my eyes, really tight, I could almost believe it. I could almost believe this was my house. I could almost believe she was my sister and her parents were my parents. I could almost believe I was... beloved. After that, I decided to be called Lol all the time. I didn't tell my mother, of course. She wouldn't have understood. Or worse, she would have called it a phase and turned her back Mm -hmm. on me. She would go back to her sewing, humming songs written decades before she was born. Sometimes I'd sit with her in the sewing room and read, only books she'd approve of, of course. And she might ask me a question or two about something, but that was all the interest she'd show. She'd sit there in a dress she'd made herself, a bandana over her hair, singing old songs. It was like she didn't want to be in this century. And maybe when she was sewing like that, she wasn't. Years passed. Mom got used to me having a best friend, or at least I got used to her not approving. Cass and I went on vacations together, me, her, and her parents at the shore. You could ask, you know. That was when we were 14, and Cass was trying to get me to go to public school. I don't have any friends. You have lots of friends. You're pretty. You don't know what it's like. There's all the
3: little cliques, and I don't fit in any of them. You could ask your mom, you know. But I had asked her. Do you want to go to public school now? These are hard years, Mary. Give it a year or two.
2: Meanwhile, my little brother was already making headway into getting into fifth grade. He played hockey, and he already had a lot of friends. And besides...
3: It's different for boys,
2: my mother said, mysteriously.
3: Why can't you just register?
2: She was serious.
3: It wouldn't be that big a deal.
2: You don't know her. You don't know how big she is on this stuff.
3: <laughs> what stuff?
2: Homeschool.
3: So what? Does she think you're going to get pregnant
2: and be a crack hoe in the first month? I just sat there, staring out at the water. I didn't know why Mom didn't want me in public school. Not really. There were vague explanations, but whenever I repeated them to Cass, they sounded so stupid. I looked up at Cass. Those blue eyes, usually so deep, were drilling right into me. I'd never seen her so mad but she was stuffing it down, stuffing it deep inside. In a minute, I knew she'd turn to me with a bright smile and say something fun like, let's get ice cream. And I'd believe that everything was okay because she was that good an actress and because I really wanted to believe that everything was okay. I
3: know, let's bake brownies.
2: And that was that. That trip was to her family's cabin by the shore. We shared a bedroom, and we shared the only bed. We used to stay up late, trying to scare each other. Do you ever think there might really be vampires? I'm trying to sleep.
3: No, really. Do you ever think that? Somewhere in the world, there might be real vampires?
2: No, I don't.
3: You've got no imagination.
2: What does imagination have to do with it? There's either vampires or there isn't. Wishing doesn't change anything.
3: I'm not wishing for vampires. I'm just saying.
2: Well, what does my imagination have to do with whether or not something exists? Robot. Go to sleep.
3: Beep, beep, beep. Hey, lol.
2: What? Do you
3: know what my dad does to my mom? Shut up. He beats her. No, he doesn't. They're happy. It's an act. She's in theater, right? It's all an act. See, when my mom was younger, she had an affair. He's never forgiven her. And he's jealous. Stop it. Some nights, I'll hear them arguing. Then, they won't be arguing anymore.
2: Cassandra. Because
3: he shut her up, you know? Please. You know what else? I think she kind of likes it now. I think she likes it when he shuts her up. Hey, what's wrong?
2: Don't tell me this. I don't want to know this. Oh, what's wrong? You're shaking. It's not true. None of it's true. Your parents love each other, and they
3: love you, and he never- oh, Wait, wait, I'm sorry. It was just an act, I swear. What? You're really scared, aren't you? Lol, I was just acting. Well, don't ever do it again. Oh, you'd rather I be a vampire, eh? Stop it. Come here, honey, I want to suck your blood. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Later that night, I couldn't sleep. Cass was in the bed next to me, sleeping with her hair flowing like water all over the pillow. Like a girl from a vampire movie, or what I thought a girl from a vampire movie would look like. The truth was, I'd never seen one. I got up and went to the window. The water was out there, black and cold and shimmering under a yellow moon, and I couldn't decide whether Cass was lying to me when she said her father beat her mom, or if she was lying to me when she said he didn't. One was truth, and one was a lie. Which was which? I heard something move on the bed behind me, and I turned to look. Cass was gone. I went to the door, but it was ajar about the same way it had been. Besides, I don't think she would have had time to get to the door. I looked to the closet and saw a thin line of her cotton nightgown through the barely open door. Then I followed the nightgown up to her face, and then... Something... something was wrong. (laughs) Cass, what's wrong? You, you don't look right. She was staring at me. Only, it wasn't her. Not entirely, anyway. Those blue eyes didn't seem to glow anymore. They seemed to stand out like black pools in the gray darkness of the closet. She almost looked like the aliens on some book covers, her eyes black and deep, and without pupils.
3: <laughs> Cass, please. Come into my closet, and I'll tell you all my secrets. Cass, this isn't funny. Who is Cass? I know not of any Cass. Stop it. Do you know the Muffin Man? He lives on Drury Lane. <laughs> yeah.
2: Shh. You'll wake your parents. You can't wake what's already dead. <laughs> and then I was awake. I had woken up screaming, and the sun was shining through the windows, and Cass was next to me, still asleep. Have you ever had that? That weird thing when you close your eyes one night, and you open them a second later, and it's day? just like that. I felt myself scream, but I didn't hear it. Maybe I didn't scream. Maybe I just imagined it, and imagined it so hard my throat hurt. And I didn't know what was real. This moment, the sun shining, the house quiet, or the thing that came before it, Cass in the closet beckoning me to come in, my heart thumping in my chest and a word echoing in my ears. It was a strange word to think about on a bright summer morning. Strange and terrible and unreal. The word was... Vampire. I don't know what the big deal is. Six months after the beach. Nothing weird had happened since then, except Cassette boyfriend.
3: Did you see the way his eyes open up wide when he smiles? He looks like Edward Cullen. You mean Robert Pattison, the actor? Whatever. He looks
2: just like him. He looked nothing like him, this boy. But he lived about a mile from my house. And Cass added in her head that if she could have a sleepover at my place for a change... You'd never know I was gone. Your mom would never... Oh, yes, she would. She would know, and she would take you home, and she would call your mom... Who wouldn't care. And she would forbid us to see each other. Oh, lol. We'd see each other. Parents always
3: think they can do stuff like that, but they can't. You can start school the next year, and then...
2: I'm not going to public school in the fall. What? I changed my mind. I'm not going. The truth was, I wanted to go more than anything. But I was mad at her then. Furious. She was using me to get to Dan Biederman. Come on, at least ask. And I was right. My mother would not allow this. I knew she wouldn't. I knew it. Well,
3: Cassandra's certainly a nice girl, and you've accepted
2: her mother's hospitality enough. I felt a sensation in my stomach like vomit and acid. Maybe it would be nice to entertain her for a change. Oh, no. Why don't you invite her to supper, too? I looked up at my mother. Mary, are you all right? And I threw up all over my dress. The sleepover didn't happen, of course. Mother was concerned Cass might catch something. I was fine. I wasn't sick. I knew I wasn't sick. But that night, I woke up boiling hot. My nightgown was covered in sweat and the sheets were in knots around me. The moon was out and a blue light flooded through my window. When I looked into the shadows, it reminded me of Cass's eyes. That same shade of blue-black that seemed to draw me in. I got up and slipped off my nightgown. It was still hot, still so hot I lay back down on the bed when (gasps) Relax, it's me She'd scared me to death There she was, outside my window Cass, with her dark blue eyes I threw on a nightgown and ran over What are you doing here?
3: I told my mom the sleepover was still on
2: How are you feeling? You went to Dan Biederman's house, didn't you? Oh, he was being a jerk I went to come see you
3: Let me in. What? You can't. No. My mom will find out.
2: Come on, lol. Invite me in. Go home. I can't. It's like 20 miles. Well, then come down to the back door. I'll wake my mom. We'll tell her everything. And she'll give you a ride home. (laughs) I had heard that laugh before. But I couldn't remember where. Don't be stupid. Just invite me in. I took a step back from the window. I don't know why I did that. There was no reason for it, I just... Maybe I was remembering the beach house in the closet. Maybe I hadn't pushed it down into my mind like I thought I had. But there was something different about Cass. Something wrong. I stepped back away from the window and didn't say anything. She watched me for a moment. Well uh. That was all she said. Just my name. Just once. We stood there looking at each other for a long, long time. I don't even really remember when she left the window. It was just a moment when she wasn't there anymore. I went back to the bed and I lay down. It's funny how sometimes you can just forget things, how the simplest thing slips your mind. I walked into the kitchen once and suddenly couldn't remember which door led to the basement. I forgot how to spell the word the for five minutes. I came to the end of our drive and couldn't remember if town was to the right or to the left. Whenever that stuff happened to me, I always remembered again right away. It was just a temporary brain fart, as Cass's dad would say. It's just that sometimes I forget little things that I should remember. I forgot something that night, something I should have remembered from the beginning. Something so obvious and basic and terrible. I should have remembered right away. You see, I was so upset about Cass being there. So afraid my mom would find out, so weirded out by the whole thing, that I forgot a simple fact about the landscape of my life. Our house is a plain box structure with a peaked roof. There are no eaves, no ornamentation, no trees within 20 feet. My mother had a horrible fear of a windstorm knocking a tree into our house. And outside my window, the window where I just had a conversation with my best friend, my window that had no window box, no ledge. Outside my window, was a sheer drop of 30 feet. I was cold the rest of that night. I put my nightgown and the covers back on and another blanket besides. But I was still cold. That was good. They say cold aids the mind, and I did a lot of thinking. One eye peeled on my window, waiting for a face or the sun to fill it. And I thought about Cass, and about what she'd said. She'd been so eager for me to invite her in. She could have just climbed in. I wouldn't have stopped her. She should have known that. But that was the thing. She wanted me to invite her. She wanted me to invite her into my room. And about 6 a.m. I realized why that was important. You probably already know why. A vampire cannot enter a house by her own free will. She has to be invited. We didn't talk for weeks after that. I think she was tied up with Dan Biederman, and I didn't care one way or the other. The cold came, winter, long nights, and finally, one day in January...
3: Mary! Phone! I think it's Cassandra! Hello? Lol? Hi. Jeez, you might say hello.
2: Hello, Cass.
3: Hey, you wanna get together? It's been, like, forever.
2: What about Dan?
3: Dan? Oh, don't be silly. We were over weeks ago. I just... I miss you. Lol, is everything okay?
2: Why don't you come over?
3: Are you... inviting me?
2: Yes, I'm inviting you.
3: Okay, let me check with my
2: mom. Something changed in her voice. If I didn't know her quite as well, I probably would have missed it. But I heard the change. A kind of hunger came into it. She came over alright. In 20 minutes she was at my doorway with a sleeping bag under her arm. Hi. Hi.
3: I'm so sorry I was such a jerk. He totally wasn't worth it. That's okay. Never again, right? Never over a boy.
2: Never over a boy. She came in. Had I invited her? I couldn't remember. But in five minutes she was just like she'd always been, bubbly, cheerful, laughing. And I was watching her. It was like I wasn't even in the room, like I'd left my body behind and was floating above us, watching, observing. I kept very, very still, like Cass was a bird that had landed next to me, and I was afraid she would fly away. Are you
3: alright? What? You just seem really out of it. I'm just tired. Oh well, it's 9.30, since we have no TV, I guess. Would you mind? No, I'll tell ghost stories, and maybe tell about Dan. Dan? You know, I mean we were going out for two months.
2: We got ready for bed. I said my goodnights to Mom. Cass' sleeping bag stayed rolled up in the corner. My bed was just big enough for the two of us to fit. And the second the lights went out...
3: He really is good-looking, you know. And he was so
2: nice. She began to talk. I let her it talk like about her Dan, about the things they had done together. So Remember, I suppose she expected me cold. to be shocked. You don't think I'm a slut, do you? No, I don't. And I didn't. I really didn't. Cass wasn't really a person to me anymore, so what she did with a boy didn't seem to matter. She was
3: like
2: I don't know what she was. But as I listened to her prattle on, I began to get interested. I rolled over and looked at her. That's our faces were only inches do. apart and um, she kept talking does. and because she was so close I, I could really see her for the I'm first so... time i could take my time and linger over her face i'd never noticed before how her ears turned up slightly at the tips how her cheeks and eyebrows were so thin and angular and her teeth were were they just a little pointed a little sharp i couldn't tell i really couldn't
3: lol, lol. Uh, what? <laughs> You're creeping me out. Uh, sorry, I-, I was just... <laughs> you were looking at me like I was dessert. <laughs> That's what you were doing. You haven't gotten all Amazon cooped up in here, have you?
2: Because I like you and everything, but... Cassandra, do you believe in vampires? What? Because I do. I've met one.
3: Okay. Wait, I know what this is.
2: One was in this room. Almost.
3: This is you trying to scare
2: me for a change. But I wouldn't invite it in. That's right, isn't it? You have to invite a vampire in, or it can't enter. Well,
3: you, you really did it. I'm really freaked out. So why don't- I kinda
2: wished I'd invited her in. You know? Why don't we just turn the lights, okay? Cause that's why those stories are so popular. Transformation. You can change. Do you believe in change? Turn on the lights, Lol. Do you think you can really, really become something else?
3: Mary, turn
2: on the lights. Because I believe if you want it bad enough.
3: Lol. Lol.
4: <laughs> Mary! What have you done? Oh,
1: look at the blood, Ms. Richards. Is your daughter under psychiatric care? No! No! We've got to get this other one to emergency. Those wounds are deep. Were they playing a game or
3: something? I don't know what they were doing. It was just a sleepover!
2: Cassandra doesn't come around anymore. We don't really talk. In my new home, I can only have visitors from 4 to 6. How are you today, Mary? Mom comes most days.
3: Uh, I brought you some cookies, but they they took them at the desk. They weren't sure how they would react with your medication.
2: Mom pays a lot of attention to me now. On days she comes, I sleep really well. And I made you a new jumper, see? When she doesn't come, I spend most nights in a chair, looking out my window. It's on the fourth floor, you know.
3: I'm just... I'm so happy to see you, Mary.
2: But I like Mom's visits.
3: You know, don't you? You're my beloved. My beloved.
2: They're my very favorite times. And I don't miss Cass at all. Well, maybe a little. Maybe just...
1: Cass and Lol. Starred Trelawney Irwin as Lol and Rachel Adams as Cassandra. Ayla McIntosh played Mary's mother. Cass's parents were played by Jim Yount and Victoria Olson. Additional voices provided by Jeffrey Adams and Dave Irwin. Written and directed by Jeffrey Adams. Sound effects realized by David Irwin. Cass and Lol is copyright 2009 by the Icebox Radio Theater on the web at iceboxradio.org. Oh, wow. The girls did a great job, didn't they? That was Trelawney Irwin and Rachel Adams starring as Lawl and Cass, I should say, respectively, in the first ever play recorded at our new studio space here, Cass and Lawl," part of Frozen Frights October here on the Icebox Radio Theater. Well, just a couple of items I wanted to mention to our wonderful listeners that tuned in and stuck around for this late part of the podcast. Do want to let you know that pictures of our new studio are available at our Facebook site. Just go to Facebook and search on, search for Icebox Radio Theater, I should say. And they give you um, all kinds of pictures and connections to the Flickr feed as well. And you get a chance to uh, see the space that these plays are being created in. The other thing I wanted to mention to you is that we have a Halloween special coming up on terrestrial radio that we are currently marketing to community and public radio stations all over the United States and Canada and similar situations, I'm sure, that exist in other countries. And uh, the thing is, we need your help to market this series. Generally, a community radio station doesn't listen a lot to producers from outside their area, and they listen a lot to listeners inside their area. So if you are interested in helping us uh, bring a lot of scary stuff that's been featured on the podcast before, but never out on regular radio, visit our website at iceboxradio.org and visit the Halloween special page that's pretty prominently featured right now. Uh, We currently have four radio stations across North America lined up. We would love to have many, many more by October the 31st. So visit that page for a sample of the show and also information on how you could help us continue to market uh, Listening in the Dark, that's the name of the show, to as many regular radio stations as possible. Well, that's it for this edition of the Icebox Radio Theater. Thanks once again for the download, and this is Jeff Adams reminding you to keep listening.
0: And that was Cass and Lowell from the Icebox Radio Theater. They will be the 5th, 4th, 5th, 4th, 5th fifth stop on the train of terror on transcontinental terror on halloween night uh followed by the west coast offering the willamette radio workshop out of the portland oregon area they have done tons of great gothic and horror audio over the years won ton of awards for it um this one today is a shorter piece a soundscape type tale based on hp lovecraft story the outsider um great fodder for halloween they'll be doing a um, festival of blood based on a uh, a film about Shakespeare that goes horribly wrong um, for their Halloween show. Uh, For now, enjoy this piece of Lovecraft um, voiced by Sam Mowry, who is
4: awesome. The Willamette Radio Workshop presents a classic tale of horror adapted for radio from the masterworks of H.P. Lovecraft. The Outsider, adapted by Joe Medina, read by Sam A. Mowry. Unhappy is he to whom the memories of childhood bring only fear and sadness. Wretched is he who looks back upon lone hours in vast and dismal chambers with brown hangings and maddening rows of antique books or upon odd watches in twilight groves of grotesque, gigantic, and vine-encumbered trees that silently wave twisted branches far aloft. Such a lot the gods gave to me. To me, the dazed, the disappointed, the barren, the broken. And yet I am strangely content. "'and cling desperately to those seer memories "'when my mind momentarily threatens to reach beyond, to the other. "'I know not where I was born, "'save that the castle was infinitely old and infinitely horrible, "'full of dark passages and having high ceilings "'where the eye could find only cobwebs and shadows. "'It was never light, nor was there any sun outdoors.' since the terrible trees grew high above the topmost accessible tower. There was one black tower which reached above the trees into the unknown outer sky, but that was partially ruined and could not be ascended save by a well-nigh impossible climb up the sheer wall, stone by stone. I must have lived years in this place, but I cannot measure the time. Beings must have cared for my needs, yet I cannot recall any person except myself, or anything alive but the noiseless rats and bats and spiders. To me there was nothing grotesque in the bones and skeletons that strewed some of the stern crypts deep down among the foundations. I fantastically associated these things with everyday events, and thought them more natural, than the colored pictures of living beings which I found in many of the moldy books. From such books I learned all that I know. No teacher urged or guided me, and I do not recall hearing any human voice in all those years, not even my own. For although I had read of speech, I had never thought to try to speak aloud. My aspect was a matter of equally unthought-of, for there were no mirrors in the castle. I merely regarded myself by instinct as akin to the youthful figures I saw drawn and painted in the books. I felt conscious of youth because I remembered so little. Outside, across the putrid moat and under the dark, mute trees, I would often lie and dream for hours about what I read in the books and would longingly picture myself amidst gay crowds in the sunny world beyond the endless forests. So through endless twilights I dreamed and waited, though I knew not what I waited for. Then in the shadowy solitude my longing for light grew so frantic that I could rest no more. I lifted, entreating hands to the single black ruined tower that reached above the forest into the unknown outer sky, and at last I resolved to scale that tower, fall though I might, since it were better to glimpse the sky and perish than to live without ever beholding day in the dank twilight. I climbed the worn and aged stone stairs, till I reached the level where they ceased, and thereafter clung perilously to small footholds leading upward. Ghastly and terrible was that dread, stairless cylinder of rock, black, ruined, and deserted. But more ghastly and terrible still was the slowness of my progress. For climb as I might, the darkness overhead grew no thinner. And wondered why I did not reach the light, and would have looked down had I dared. All at once, after an infinity of sightless crawling up that concave and desperate precipice, I found my head touch a solid thing. And I knew I must have gained the roof, or at least some kind of floor. In the darkness, I raised my free hand and tested the barrier, clung to whatever holes the slimy wall would give. <coughs> I crawled through carefully and tried to prevent the heavy slab from falling back into place. As I lay exhausted on the stone floor, I heard the eerie echoes of its fall. Hoped when necessary to pry it up again, and still there was no light revealed. "'Believing I was now at prodigious height, far above the cursed branches of the wood, "'I dragged myself up from the floor and fumbled about for windows, "'that I might look for the first time upon the sky, the moon, and stars of which I had read. "'But on every hand I was disappointed. "'All that I found were vast shelves of marble bearing odious oblong boxes of disturbing size.' More and more I reflected, and wondered what hoary secrets might abide in this high apartment so many eons cut off from the castle below. Then, unexpectedly, my hands came upon a doorway, where hung a portal of stone, rough with strange chiseling. Trying it, I found it locked, but with a supreme burst of strength... I did so, there came to me the purest ecstasy I have ever known, for shining tranquilly through an ornate grating of iron, and down a short stone passageway of steps ascending from the newly found doorway, was the radiant full moon. very dark when I reached the grating, but instead of treetops seen from a lofty eminence, there stretched around me nothing less than the solid ground, decked and diversified by marble slabs and columns, and overshadowed by an ancient stone church whose ruined spire gleamed spectrally in the moonlight. half unconscious, I opened the grating and staggered out upon the white gravel path that stretched away in two directions. My mind, stunned and chaotic as it was, still held the frantic craving for light, and not even the fantastic wonder at hand could stay my course. I neither knew nor cared whether my experience was insanity, dreaming, or magic. I was determined to gaze on brilliance and gaiety at any cost. (sighs) Over two hours must have passed before I reached what seemed to be my goal. An ivied castle in a thickly wooded park, maddeningly familiar yet full of perplexing strangeness to me. But what I observed with chief interest and delight were the open windows... "'gorgeously ablaze with light "'and sending forth sounds of revelry. "'Advancing to one of these, "'I looked in and saw an oddly-dressed company indeed, "'making merry and speaking brightly to one another. "'I had never heard human speech before "'and could guess only vaguely what was said. "'Some of the faces held expressions "'that brought up incredibly remote recollections. "'Others were utterly alien.' I now stepped through the low window into the brilliantly lighted room, stepping as I did so from my single bright moment of hope to my blackest convulsion of despair and realization. Scarcely had I crossed the sill when there descended upon the whole company a sudden and unheralded fear of hideous intensity, distorting every face and evoking the most horrible screams from nearly every throat. Flight was universal, and in the clamor and panic several fell in a swoon and were dragged away by their madly fleeing companions. Many covered their eyes with their hands and plunged blindly and awkwardly in their race to escape, overturning furniture and stumbling against the walls before they managed to reach one of the many doors. As I stood in the brilliant apartment, alone and dazed, listening to the vanishing echoes, I trembled at the thought of what might be lurking near me. Unseen. At a casual inspection, the room seemed deserted. But when I moved towards one of the alcoves, I thought I detected a presence there. A hint of motion beyond the gold arch doorway, leading to another and somewhat similar room. As I approached the arch... I began to perceive the presence more clearly. I beheld in full frightful vividness the inconceivable. It was a compound of all that is unclean. The ghoulish shade of decay, antiquity and dissolution. The putrid, dripping Eidolon of unwholesome revelation. God knows it was not of this world, or no longer. Of this world, yet to my horror, I saw in its eaten away and bone-revealing outlines a leering, abhorrent travesty on the human shape, and in its moldy, disintegrating apparel an unspeakable quality that chilled me even more. I was almost paralyzed. My eyes, bewitched by the glassy orbs which stared loathsomely into them, refused to close. I tried to raise my hand to shut out the sight, yet so stunned were my nerves that my arm could not fully obey my will. The attempt, however, was enough to disturb my balance, so that I had to stagger forward several steps to avoid falling. As I did, I became suddenly and agonizingly aware of the nearness of the carrion thing. Nearly mad, I found myself yet able to throw out a hand to ward off the fetid apparition which pressed so close. And in one cataclysmic second of cosmic nightmarishness and hellish accident, my fingers touched the rotting, outstretched paw of the monster beneath the golden arch. I did not shriek. But all the fiendish ghouls that ride the night wind shrieked for me, as in that same second there crashed down upon my mind a single fleeting avalanche of soul-annihilating memory. I knew in that second all that had been. I remembered beyond the frightful castle and the trees, and recognized the altered edifice in which I now stood. I recognized, most terrible of all, the unholy abomination that stood leering before me as I withdrew my sullied fingers from its own) But in the cosmos there is balm as well as bitterness, and that balm is Nepenthe. In the supreme horror of that second, I forgot what had horrified me, and the burst of black memory vanished in a chaos of echoing images. In a dream, I fled from that haunted and accursed pile that ran swiftly and silently in the moonlight. When I returned to the churchyard place of marble and went down the steps, I found the stone trapdoor immovable. But I was not sorry. For I had hated the antique castle ...and the trees. (laughs) (laughs) Now I ride with the mocking and friendly ghouls... ...on the night wind and play by day among the catacombs of nefren in the sealed, unknown valley of Hadoth by the Nile. I know that light is not for me... save that of the moon over the rock tombs of Neb... nor any gaiety save the unnamed feast of Nitocris beneath the great pyramid. Yet in my new wildness and freedom... I almost welcome the bitterness of alienage. For although Nepenthe has calmed me, I know always that I am an outsider, a stranger to this century, and among those who are still men. This I have known. Ever since I stretched out my fingers to the abomination within that great Gilded frame stretched out my fingers and touched a cold, unyielding surface of polished glass. You've been listening to The Outsider by H.P. Lovecraft, adapted by Joe Medina, and read by Sam A. Mowry. This has been a production of the Willamette Radio Workshop.
0: And that was Sam Maury with Walmart Radio Workshop with HQE Lovecraft's The Outsider. Great stuff. Um, finally, one last little promo for our Halloween event. As I've said again and again, we have six different audio artists. You'll hear all original work by some of the leading audio dramatists from across the country. And I can't help but push you to check out uh, my original offering Final Rune Productions, The Cleanse, the pilot episode of a new speculative fiction audio sci-fi serial. Um, here's a sample of that. This Halloween prepare to be taken by storm.
4: Whoa, 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 whoa. chill out, dude
0: Join Final Room Productions as we prepare to play the old-time radio drama War of the Worlds, as no one has ever heard it before
1: oh. hell, they're they're
0: That's because in the year 2030, it's not Martians we have to fear, but one another. Get me away from this psycho, dude! Play it in the car, play it in your house, play it in your haunted crypt, but whatever you do, tune in Sunday, October 31st, from 7 to 8 p.m. on transcontinentalterror.com, or from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. streaming at wmpg.org. This is one show you do not want to miss, and you'll never forget. I'm not making this up. We've got to get somewhere safe. Safe! And that's it, folks. Okay, hope you enjoy... Sunday, October 31st. If you've forgotten yet, Halloween. Go to radiodramarevival.com. Click on the big, huge button that says Halloween on it. Or to transcontinentalterror.com. It's even easier. It's right there. Um, player right on the homepage. That wraps it up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh. Copyright of individual shows. Remains that are original producers. But do please share this show as far and widely as you like. Radio Drama Revival originates an on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's Community Radio. It is podcast at radio Drama. Is Labor Love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week.